and welcome to the Deep Turn BF podcast. My name is Sean and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boffman, Mr. Boffman, man. How are we? Sean, I'm super good. How are you? I'm splendid. I'm splendid. There's a, I've done something which is a bit of a deep two tradition during lockdown, but I've made uh, French onion soup, or as the French like to call it, onion soup. Made that for <laughs> dinner tonight, and it has gone down a treat. Dante, I'm still waiting on you to make it and send me a photo, but that's all right. That'll come. Yeah, doesn't more than 50% of the podcast have to make it before it can be considered a tradition? Oh, that's 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 a lot of soup. <laughs> <laughs> look, 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 my my partner's going away. She's going to broom for six weeks. So mm-hmm. I'm about to be living the bachelor lifestyle. So I'll have a lot of time to experiment in the kitchen and maybe I can put French onion soup on the menu. Maybe you can. You're also still allowed to make it while she's there, but you know. Yeah. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to deflect so that you <laughs> don't cotton on to the fact that I'm probably never gonna make it. <laughs> all right that's all right um dante since you wrote this first headline do you want to give us the news of the week shocking sean that this news has popped up but Lamelo ball has healed from his broken wrist and could be <laughs> back in the lineup in as little time as seven to ten days this is coming from adrian Wojnarowski of espn we were told that he was out for the season and all of a sudden he might be back mm-hmm. to help the hornets push into mm. the playoffs yeah well push in as in like they've, they've slightly dropped so maybe it's sort of holding them up and just like keep him in that eight seed it's uh it's a bit of a shock because when Lamelo went down they were the four seed and that was obviously a very 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 high watermark and they haven't dropped off their play that much but for them to fall down all the way to eight uh for the part just below the surging new york knicks who've won six in a row and Miami just showing competence after being sort of injury riddled and rest riddled at the start of the season. Do you do you see them dropping below eight if Lamelo comes back and gives them a tiny bit of a bolster, or what do you what do you see the Lamelo re-edition doing to them? Well, they've currently got two and a half game lead on the Pacers, so I probably don't see them dropping below that. But they're also only two and a half games behind the Hawks for four. So I think when Lamelo went down, there was something like. 21 and 21 and now they're 28 and 28 so they're they're literally just still playing at the exact same level but i i think that i think that there could be something you know something to this because all, all you need is a three-game win streak and a team in front of you you know drops two and you're you jump two or three spots um and i yeah i think that they're a real shout to uh a real shout to jump up into maybe even the fifth or the sixth spots don't, don't, uh, yeah, don't, you're not, you're not, I'm not, I'm not, not actually sold on the Knicks. So, yeah, um, well, the, the Hornets in their remaining 16 games, uh, Tankathon gives them the 26th harder schedule. So, you know, you can flip that and say the fourth easiest. Charlotte has two matchup against the Pistons, two against the Bulls, which is considered a weak opponent, but I think they're a little bit better than their record shows. Uh, and then they've got two against Boston and then probably a really critical game against the Knicks later in the season, which is, uh, you know, that, that's the best thing about the dog days of the season. When you get into this playoff seeding, you get into these matches where it's like, hang on, Chris Copeland really needs to make a shot in 23-13 for this team to like dodge XYZ team in the playoffs, which is, you know, that's that's the fun part about being in the middle of the playoff race. I thought you were going to say Chris Copeland really needs to make a shot now. And I was like, don't tell me that Chris Copeland has just been floating around the league for the last few years and I haven't noticed. I'm I'm glad that um, that you're referencing 2013. Oh, well, in our in our group chat, we just got the name Alonzo. What's the name? Is it Alonzo G? Alonzo G just got floated out there. That's that's yeah, a Alonzo G. Yeah, yeah, huge yeah, throwback yeah. reference. Okay, so so I I do think that Charlotte is a shout to kind of jump up into into the play playoff not play in spots um because i'm not really convinced by the teams ahead of them like the heat have been you know pretty average and yeah they have been covid hit and injury hit but that you know that seems to be all behind them they've had that you know a 15 game runway of um you know jimmy and bam both being healthy and you know all their young dudes are still in the team and in the lineup um, I'm still not 100% sold on the Knicks. That's just my reticence from the majority of uh, New York Knicks history. So forgive <laughs> me that one. Um, 
So I think that, you know, LaMelo coming back in could be the kick that the, the Hornets need, but I don't see them in, even in a worst case, they're still going to be a playing team. Um, but I think the more interesting thing about his return is the rookie of the year race, which yeah. when he went down, everyone was saying, oh, it doesn't matter. He's so clearly been the best rookie, which he had. Uh, but he he's only played 41 games. So there was kind of an inkling of like, well, you know, someone else would really need to like blow us away over the last 30 games of the season in order for him to not be rookie of the year. And although it hasn't been like blowing away, Anthony Edwards over the last two or so months has averaged 21, five and three, including mm-hmm. like multiple 30 point games and even a 44 point game. Uh, which I believe was against my Phoenix Suns in a <laughs> game that we lost. Well, whenever you play bad teams, you have to underperform. I think that's that's part of putting on the purple and orange, isn't it? Yeah, something like that. I'll lose to the Spurs by 30 a couple of days ago. <laughs> anyway, it's neither With here. no DeMarderos and Patty Mills or DeJounte. But, no, keep going. Keep it's going. neither here nor there. So <laughs> I I guess Ed, the, the, the numbers with Edwards are really good and he looks like as smooth as ever and as explosive as ever. And when he looks good, he looks really good, but he's shooting around 40% from the field, even in this hot streak. And (laughs) he's uh, shooting about 31 from three and, and contributing, you know, minimally as a playmaker, he, he has a, uh, he has like a 1.1 or 1.2 to one assist to turnover ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, so he pretty much is giving you just scoring and not doing that efficiently, but so many of these awards are punctuated by moments stats and who gets the most and, points. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like he's playing really well and coming into his own and that sort of thing. So I, I, I'm curious to hear what you think about whether, if Lamelo comes back at a, a level that's like less than what he was playing at before, do you think that the door is still open, or do you think that for Lamelo it's literally just about if you can if he can get to fifty games played, like that's mm. the that's the case closed. Yeah, it's that seems a lot like a participation trophy where it's like, hey, if you just get to the number, you'll be fine. Uh, just before I give my point about Lamelo, I just want to say Anthony Edwards is in the eleventh percentile among every single player in terms of effective field goal percentage. And that's just just a hair above Chetty Osman and just a hair below John Wall. So that's the sort of like area we're looking at. Oh, Johnny boy. Oh, (laughs) how the somewhat mighty have fallen. (laughs) That's a really good way to put it. Uh, I think, look, if if it ends today or if Lamelo doesn't play another game for the rest of the season, I would still have Lamelo as my rookie of the year. And that's for the Joel Embiid versus Malcolm Brogdon point. Where it's just like, hey, we clearly know who the best rookie is, like quote unquote, and what Joel Embiid played just a little bit under half the games that season. I think everyone knew that if you're going forwards with what, like, what's what's the definition of the award? Like the most outstanding rookie. Like he was outstanding because he flashed superstar potential. Malcolm Brogdon flashed really, really good role player. You know, third best player on like a good team potential, right? And like that's that's obviously incredible, and he would have an incredible role in the world, the Milwaukee Bucks. But <laughs> like. I think you just have to say, hey, Anthony Edwards might be a, like, I would say jack of all trades, but maybe there's a joke to be made, like jack of all shots. You know, he seems like a guy who's going to get a lot of shots up and maybe he maybe he gets to the point where he's a Bradley Beal, but maybe he like slightly falls and becomes a Justin Holiday with a little, little more swagger, right? And that's that's very rude by me, but I think that's a, That's a day, fucking gargantuan... <laughs> Whole, yeah, no, outcomes. exactly. And the dude could be Bradley like, Beal or he could be swaggy Justin Holiday. <laughs> he's he's like he's he's tiny, you know what I mean? Like he's so young. Like he's sorry, he's 19.2 years old. I'm going off cleaning the glass there because you know, robots look at it, look at it as a point. But I think you have to give a little Muller, who's shown that he can be a good player on a good team already, and he's proven that he can play winning basketball. And it's uh, I'd much rather tune in and watch Lamelo Ball have his fifteen and ten rather than Anthony Edwards have like twenty points on twenty two shots. Well, what do you think? 
I think I think that it is if Lamelo can get those games played bumped up, he'll he'll have it pretty like pretty handily. Does, does it really because, matter? Like if you could go back to the Joel Embiid um, Rookie of the Year class, and if you had to vote, if you had a vote to start with, would you vote today? Looking back on it, would you still vote for Malcolm Brogdon, or would you vote for Joel Embiid? Well, I mean, obviously Embiid has turned out to be the far superior player, and everyone knew at the time that it was going to be, you know, you know, that he was going to be the far superior player. But then it's like, well, isn't that, isn't that the same justification as saying like, let's give LeBron the MVP this year? Cause everyone knows he's the best player. He hasn't played that many games, but I think like different he's awards. gun when he played and it's rookie, you know, it's rookie of the year. And if you don't play for half of the year, you can only <laughs> be considered for half of the year. So what would you pick if if this let, let's say he doesn't play another game or let's say he play he comes back and he plays at seventy percent of of what he was uh, earlier? Well, in the I season. would I would pick I would pick Lamelo, but what I would say is for those people who value you know the argument that I just laid out that you you know maybe Edwards being eighty percent as good as Lamelo but playing almost double the games is more valuable over the course of a season. If you know there will be people with those with that viewpoint, and if Lamelo then just gets an extra ten games on his resume, it's like, well, Edwards all of a sudden didn't play that many more games than him, and Lamelo was like pretty clearly a better player from start to finish. So it's easy, it's cut and dry. But the door, in terms of interpreting the dimensions of the award, what you should be considering. <laughs> the the door i think for some people will remain open and that's not to say like what if you know what if edwards for the rest of the season averages 25 on 45 percent shooting and it's like well you know he really closed the season out strong and it's like the door's even more open because edwards played 68 games and averaged like 21 points for the whole season and yeah i don't know yeah, well, we're we're obviously going to do a bit of an awards pod near the end of the season, so you will know by the end of the season, Dante, when you officially say on this podcast who you're picking. But I can say, uh, barring something incredible from Anthony Edwards, I'm going to pick Lamelo to win Rookie of the Year. That is an interesting parallel that you draw to the Embiid Brogdon Rookie of the Year thing, and I was just thinking, isn't it wild that because you, you said it before, like everyone was pretty clear that Brogdon was flashing like elite role player potential. Isn't it <laughs> wild that Brogdon, who came in at age 24 or whatever, and as a second round pick, won Rookie of the Year, and has turned out to be like this good? Yeah, I guess. I mean, Brogdon's pretty good, and. Yeah, yeah. You know, he might be the he might be the best player on the bases. Not that that's saying heaps this year, but mm. um, it definitely. I mean, like the, the other dude in that, the dude who finished third in that year was who who also flashed like elite role player potential was Dario Saric. Mm. And look at how much better than Saric. <laughs> yeah, no, year. yeah. Now, now that you say that, that you make a good point. Um, they Saric. were kind of like on the same level as like, wow, this guy is going to be like a great glue guy on a <laughs> good team. And it's like, you know, now Brogdon is like feasibly like the best player on like a perennial playoff team. Yeah, uh, um, I know just, the paces are bad this year, but <laughs> just before we move on, I was going to make a parallel to the 2001 uh, Rookie of the Year, which was won by Mike Miller, and I was just thinking, hey, who was Mike Miller's competition? He's a dude who's like not a memorable Rookie of the Year. Mike Miller came first. Kenyon Martin came second. Mark Jackson came third. That's not the Mark Jackson that you know and hate. That's the Mark Jackson who has a career 2.6 win shares. Uh, and then tied fourth was Darius Miles and Morris Peterson. So at the end of the day, the award doesn't matter. <laughs> I had not even heard of that Mark Jackson or Morris Peters. <laughs> Mark Jackson played for Golden State, funny enough. Uh very bold. He played. It sounds like you're just describing the Mark Jackson. Exactly. Um, he, he for his career played 387 games and averaged 8.4 points. But for Golden State that rookie year, he averaged 13.2 and 7.5 rebounds. Let's move on, Dante. Um, I hate talking about the real Mark Jackson, let alone the fake one, the deep fake Mark Jackson. Um, but today, I don't know if you're watching it. You probably weren't. You're a busy boy. But Steph Curry overtook Bradley Beal as the NBA's leading scorer. Uh, this was obviously not the biggest news of the day. The biggest news is that Golden State Warriors somehow managed to beat Philly. Um Anyone who watches the Warriors knows that the first six minutes, 
entering the fourth quarter, a very scary time to be a Warriors fan because Steph Curry always sits for those six, six minutes after playing nearly the whole entire uh, third quarter. Somehow we hung on and we actually won the quarter. We won the fourth quarter, which has been a bit of a boon for the Warriors, but we ended up getting an 11-point win. Steph Curry scored 49 points with 10 threes, uh, five assists. Kevon Looney had a 15-5-5 and five game. That's 15 rebounds, five points, five uh, fouls, but Steph Curry is now going to be leading the NBA in scoring, and it doesn't look like he's going to give it up at any moment because he is just, as the title of this episode is, a supernova Steph. He is currently 32 years old, leading the league in scoring, and I'm loving watching it. It just sucks that the rest of the play, the rest of the team, isn't as good as the past few years. Yeah, I mean, he's hit 73s in his last 10 games, which is an <laughs> of seven per game, but 73s over a 10-game period. That is literally just insane. <laughs> That's actually And they, they are insane threes. We all saw that one in Boston. We've seen heaps throughout the week, and there was a few today against Philly against a good defense. Whether or not the, the big was dropping, he was just getting past his man and just shooting crazy shots. And it's, it's back to... I mean, I'm not. He's not going to win the MVP, but he's back to that MVP level, Steph. Where you're watching him play, and you just don't think that he's going to miss any of the shots he takes, which is infectious. He's he's going to. So you know, way way back in 2014, 15, when he set the record for threes made in the season, which he then smashed the next year. Um, he hit 286. Mm. He played 80 games that season. He's played 50 games and he's at 260. Yeah, it's uh it's <laughs> it's it's sort of weird. Like you can't really quantify those numbers, you know what I mean? You can't really say like when he beat Rail and all those years ago, it was like, wow, this dude's like, you know, breaking records. But he's broken his own record a handful of times now. And and Clay Thompson's broken a couple of those records. And it's like the where A, where does this stop? And B, it's hard to like really be shocked when year in, year out, these guys just do it over and over again and just keep breaking records. Well, the interesting thing, like looking at this from a a future historical perspective, everyone has for the last, let's say like eight years, just it's been like a fait accompli that he's going to overtake Ray Allen Mm. and finish as the NBA's all-time leading three-point field goal maker, which he will because he's second. And he's like closing. He's probably only a couple hundred away from, from Ray Allen. But lurking only a couple hundred behind him is James Harden, who's like yeah. fifth. So it's not, you know, out of this world that there's a situation where Steph retires as the all-time leading, you know, leading three-point field goal um, um, maker and mm. then within a year or two he loses that record to Harden which I hope doesn't happen because that would just be terrible like Steph needs <laughs> to just you know be like the guy like Steph needs to have like half a half a generation of enjoying that exactly um, enjoying that crown like Ray Allen did I know it's like I I feel, I keep having this weird nightmare where I'm sitting there and like my kids kids were sitting there or watching basketball and they're like well have you seen like John Coles like he's really good he's the best three-point shooter ever and I'm like oh he's nothing like Steph Curry was and then they're like dad or grandpa shut up Steph Curry's not even that good a shooter like he, he only made like 315 a season like John Coles has made 682. Like, there's got to be a bar where this stops. But, like, I just, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. He's not going to have the record for as long as Raylan or Reggie Miller had it. And it's like, I really hope he does because the way it's trending, like, LeBron James is 14th on this list. So, clearly, like, there's, there's, there's well, there's definitely no old dudes here at all. Like, there's, the list is so, like, beautifully early 2010s 2000s so there's more room to grow this is a young list uh but look let's just enjoy it now because he is incredible and groundbreaking and i love to watch it yeah he a freak that's my take <laughs> we were over the moon when we first heard that the nba is going to be televised on australian free to tv in the 2019-20 season it didn't exactly go swimmingly with the nasty cough halting the season and games getting cancelled left, right and centre, but it was a huge step and an exciting one for basketball fans all across the country. Better yet, it wasn't a commercial channel cashing in on some basketball nerds like us. 
It was SBS, one of our public broadcasters. Unfortunately, the NBA wasn't the only thing SBS was pushing last season. They also ran advertisements from Sportsbet, Ladbroke, Bet365, BetEasy and Neds, some of the biggest sports betting companies in Australia. In a one step forwards, two steps backwards move, SBS has dropped the ball here. As a public broadcaster, SBS plays a key role in providing relevant, culturally appropriate health information to local communities. The last thing SBS should be doing is offering a platform for gambling companies during the most financially unstable time in recent memory. This past year, men aged 18 to 24 made up 79% of new gambling account holders with increased median spending and frequency of bets. This is the last thing we should be spending our money on given the financial uncertainty that comes with the pandemic. During COVID lockdowns, wagering companies spent more money on advertising and incentives to gamble, and it worked. SBS needs to hear from viewers that gambling ad revenue isn't worth the harm it causes. Call on the SBS chair, George Savitas, to put community health ahead of gambling revenue by signing the petition at www.endgamblingads.org.au forward slash get gambling off SBS with hyphens in between. All right, so the next piece of news coming from the Indiana Pacers is that Miles Turner will be out indefinitely with a toe injury. Friend of the pod and former guest Josh Lloyd of Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast says that he is under the assumption that Miles Turner will not be playing for the rest of the season. He's obviously looking at it through a fantasy lens. Um, but, you know, you always look at this Indiana season where they had Victor Oladipo, they, quote, tried to make it work, unquote, uh, and then, you know, got their guy, their dude had a lump growing on his kidneys and they're waiting for him to come back and Karis Levert and never really had the chance just to stick with a team for this season. Obviously, everyone's in and out, injuries, this injuries, that. So the Indiana Pacers are currently sitting at the ninth seed, I believe, just behind the aforementioned Charlotte Hornets. And it's like they're going to be losing their best defensive player on a team that isn't very good at defense. And it's precarious uh what's your take on the miles turner probably being out for the rest of the season well i mean it's super precarious for them because they're two and a half games ahead of the bulls and the wizards who um have identical records and you know the record is a record you are what your record says you are and since the vucevic trade the bulls have not been better than what they were before and despite russell westbrook you know Forgive me if you've heard this before. Despite Russell Westbrook <laughs> having seven straight triple doubles, the Wizards are still not good. But you know, like two games behind, two games behind those teams is not a huge buffer if your second or third best player and like the key to your defense is mm. done for the. You know, there's 15 games is 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 not a long time, but also it's an, it's a long, it's a long enough time that, you know, if, if, if the Bulls, it's, it's, it's a long time if you're stars, playing Goga Batate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a long time. Sabonis is the linchpin of your, of your D and they, they yeah. have had a really like up and down season. It's been, it's been a whack kind of, you know, that last, like this season and the off season, they got rid of Nate McMillan when they were good. They were the fifth seed last year, which is like, Seems like where they should be. Got rid of Nate McMillan, which struck everyone as a bit weird. Bought mm. in uh, Nate Bjorkren and with the promise of modernizing the offense and he's Nick Nurse's assistant and they're like handpicked. He's going to be like this revolutionary guy. Hasn't really worked. I guess you could say it's all Bjork, no bite. <laughs> I guess you could say that. I guess you could. I'm not going to say that. Your words, but I mean, I, I'm um, not going to. I'm not going to judge them too much on this season. Yes, their record is their record, but I think with a full season, a fully healthy season, also TJ Warren like hasn't played this season at all, or do you just play a handful of games? Uh, let me quickly get that up. TJ Warren played four games, um, and TJ Warren obviously after the bubble is like a, a big important piece to this Pacers roster and probably part of the reason why they were happy parting with Victor Oladipo given that TJ Warren can just be the greatest scorer in the world. Uh, it's uh, I'm not going to judge them yet, uh, but if, look, if you are going to have a lost season, you would want the lost season to be in the corona season. So... It's it's not looking good, but I think it's fine in the overall scheme of things because next year you can you can see them bouncing back into like a five seed, four seed from from next season. Yeah, yeah, I can I can also see Karis Levert with the headband in the old Hoosiers uh, <laughs> Hoosiers jersey hitting a game winner in the in the Indy Stadium. 
Um, yeah. yeah. It, it just, I don't know. It Obviously, there are a lot of mitigating factors, but they, they haven't actually looked good when they've had somewhat of a, you know, like a, a team together. And mm. Turner, Sabonis, and Brogdon. Sabonis is an all-star. Turner is a defensive player of the year candidate. And Brogdon is a... Brogdon is a borderline all-star. So that's a pretty good three-man, you know, and they've got some decent role players, you know, um, the holidays, they've got Doug McDermott. So there's not like there's nothing there. And it, it definitely, they definitely have still underperformed with the team that they've had on the court. Mm. So I think it'd probably be business as usual, five, six seed next year. But <laughs> They're yeah. in real danger of they're in real danger of, of of dropping out and you know dropping out missing the playoffs completely for a team where everybody's in their mid to late twenties. Yeah, is not it's, it's not a good look. It's not a, yeah, it's not a good look, especially when especially when you had a respected head coach who you knew was going to push the top four seeds every year, and you let him go, and you bought in and you bought in a wonder kid, and it, it hasn't really worked. So. Mm. Well, just just to wrap up this point, uh, from a team blow them perspective, this is the chance for Chicago to like really jump up a little bit and like maybe threaten the eight seed if if Charlotte's not going to like Charlotte. I think they're four and a half games ahead of Chicago at the moment, uh, and Washington looked at they're trying to win. They've they've got Russell Westbrook there and they've got Bradley Beal. Like you know you can't. They're, they're, both those teams are trying to win. Both those teams have equal records. Like this is their chance to really like nudge in there and maybe play one game in the play-in or, or make it to the eighth seed or whatever it may be. So this this is the opportunity. This is the break that Chicago needs. And obviously, I spoke quite poorly about the Vucevic trade. You spoke a little bit better of it. Um, but this is what they need to happen. This is the luck that they need to have. So hopefully, they can capitalize on it from their, for their sake. Well, we saw last year with the Bubble Suns, what an impact you know, that had mm. on the confidence of the team to be able to prove that they could get a little bit of success in a quasi playoff environment. Yeah. And that carried over. So you could definitely see with the Bulls, you know, if they did sneak into the plane and maybe they, you know, they take a game against Boston or someone and it goes down right to the wire in the, in the second game and it's really intense and they're all like, okay, like we can, we can do this. Um, you could see something similar happening there. Um, and on the on the flip side, you know, whether or not Washington gets in could be a huge thing for uh, for Brad Beal and, and the flow and effect from that could be huge. If, if, if they make it in and somehow go on a run, like maybe we see Beal in Washington for good. But if he's like, look, how many, you know, we, they miss it and the Pacers hold on to that 10 spot or whatever um yeah anyway i think there yeah. could be some interesting like butterfly effect um things if the paces drop out and all these bad teams just get to get in mm-hmm. all right let's move on to the final piece of news for the week is that kevin durant is injured again coming from malika andrews of espn it is a thigh contusion uh we've all seen the bleacher report headlines it says prayers up with the little prayer emoji it's it's hard being a Kevin Durant supporter, but not being able to watch him play basketball as often as you usually do. Uh, that just might be the way it goes, um, given that he's you know injury riddled and had the, had this such a big injury in a Golden State jersey. Um, Dante, uh, what do you want to talk about, Kevin Durant, or is it just a bummer? Yeah, it's a it's a super bummer because when he's played, he's been proper Kevin Durant, like hundred percent you know, as good as he was before MVP level candidate, mm-hmm. but he's only played 24 games this year. And he's so are, are you going to vote for him? Is it like a Lamello <laughs> deal? <laughs> I'll put him on my ballot. How's that? I'll split the middle. He'll be um, an honorable mention. Yeah. Um, so he's, 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 um he's not going to continue with the Nets on their road trip. So, you know, the maximum that he can play this year is 40 games. So just over half the games, probably you'd expect with how cautious they've been mm. to be cautious again. Um, Steve Nash did acknowledge that he's really, really sore. Um, and, you know, they'll have to see how he goes. <laughs> Wait, Steve Nash was or? <laughs> Bad Sorry, joke. Steve Bad Nash joke. acknowledged that Kevin Durant was really, really sore. Steve Nash probably pretty sore as well, though. He had some back injuries. That can't be good for you. Um <laughs> I, I just feel like, is there a world in which with Harden out 
and not necessarily the most like physically uh, tuned up, like physically finely tuned athlete in the NBA um, out with a hamstring. Watch this space. KD out with literally everything. Like he's had, you know, he's had this, he's had that. And Kyrie, you know, continuing to be a bit of a wild card in terms of his availability when he decides to rock up. Mm. Uh, is is there a world, you know, Kyrie will obviously be there in the playoffs, you would think, but is there a world in which this, you know, the, the seeming um, trajectory of this team being locked into at least the Eastern Conference Finals can be disrupted? Because if, if one of these dudes isn't there, then all of a sudden this team becomes like so Super much thin, more beatable. Yeah. Because like Giannis and Middleton is not that much worse than like Harden and KD and you know Ditto for Simmons and Embiid and whoever else you want to yeah, throw in you there. You just go from two superstars to three. Uh, just just to give you some numbers, the three man lineup of Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving has played 186 minutes together uh, this whole entire season, which is obviously a small sample size and hard to like not even just like gleam stats from just to like be able to meld together and see how you play with each other. I, I'm not worried about heading into the playoffs with this team. I think like whoever they verse in the first round, whether that be like Charlotte, Indiana, Chicago, um, you know, Washington, right. Whoever they verse out of those teams, like I think they will take care of business with two of their stars in. Like we, we've seen a couple of matchups against New York. If, if New York does slip down to that seven seed and Brooklyn's uh, second, then like they they've taken care of business with just Kyrie, but I am um, sorry I'm not worried at all. I, I, it's more just a case of sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And obviously, you saw last time Kevin Durant was in the finals, he was good. He just wasn't lucky. So I'm not worried about James Harden having lingering issues. I'm not worried about Kevin Durant having lingering issues. He's came back and he's looked incredible. It's just like let's just cross your fingers and hope that they don't get injured again and they can just. Just, yeah, just literally cross your fingers. Are you worried about anything lingering with uh, any of the guys? Well, I'm just, I, I am worried about KD just because I, I don't think, that, I, like, how could you not be, you know? Well, there's what, what, like two, of, two, three weeks left to recover from like a, a one to two week injury. No, but it's it's more like when was the last time you saw him in a high leverage playoff scenario? I know you remember this and what <laughs> happened. Yeah. He, he was hurt. He missed some time. He came back, wasn't ready, catastrophically injured his leg, had to sit out for an entire year. And then the year that he's come back, he's played like less than half the games. Mm. The, he you was know, also like that, not playing back-to-backs. Like you say less yeah, than half I know, the games. I know. So it's like he missed he was, smaller you know, than that. If they were a million percent confident in his like you know, in in his physical health, he would have been playing back to backs at least some of them. No, I think if they, if any team is a million percent sure that their guys like come back from a serious injury, they still wouldn't play them on back to backs. I'm not a doctor, but I think if you're super confident, the the science does say even you and I know this amount of science, which is let's not exhaust the player because exhaustion leads to injuries. Uh, I don't think that's like a sign of hey, this dude's really dinged up. We just need to like play him on ESPN nights. I, no, like no, I said, I don't, I, yeah, I'm not worried about him. Yeah, I don't think that not playing on back to backs is like the secret key to he's <laughs> actually really, he's really, you know, at risk. I think the key to him being at risk is just look at the list of injuries he's had at age 32 or whatever he is. Mm. Um, and in a, you know, in a, a series where you're playing, you, you know, like I, I just can see a world in which like Kyrie has not been the most healthy player ever recently either. He's also a wild card personality wise. Harden's been out for a few weeks with a hammy. Hammies we know from, uh, you know, all of our favorite footy players when we we're growing up doing a hammy. It's a bad injury <laughs> and it's a lingering injury. It's something that you can easily like re-injure. So if, for whatever reason, one of KD's co-stars isn't good to go, then there's all that pressure on KD being good to go. And I don't think you can have supreme confidence in him being able to pound out 30 games in the postseason. I, I don't know. Um, I'm I'm nervous, but they have, in terms of performance this year, given us no reason to be nervous because mm. they're the two seed in the East. And they've just, when they have been, you know, when they have had had two of their stars have looked like a, a juggernaut. But you know what? I I am a naturally cautious person. I get that <laughs> from my mum. So 
maybe you know maybe that's that's pretty much what it is uh, that's sweet uh all right well that's all the news for the week dante do you want to intro us into what this next little section is before we finish up so all right we've we've hit the part of the season sean where some teams uh threw in the towel long ago some what teams are everyone's fighting in- for the title <laughs> Some teams are throwing in the towel pretty hardcore now. I'm looking at you, Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, (laughs) And so basically what we're going to do, Sean, is we've each got three players playing for a tanking team who all of a sudden are seeing their role expand. Um, And we're just going to have a little chat about them. Uh, I I will kick us off with someone, someone with... Probably the largest chest to waistline ratio I've ever seen in a human being, and that's Isaiah Stewart, who's the Pistons, <laughs> Pistons big man. Uh, he just has the most unbelievable chest and a very kind of like he's he's pretty thick, but like his chest just juts out at you know so 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 far out of his body, um, and. He he's just built like a tank. He's um his his stats for the season don't really tell much of a story, but here's his last three games. 18 and 16 today with three steals and three blocks. 19 and 12 with two blocks. And then 15 and 21. Sean, 21. That's Moses Brown numbers with two blocks. <laughs> that's fat Kevin Love numbers. That's fat Kevin Love numbers. Um, and he, I, I, I don't know what he's going to end up being because he's a little bit undersized. He's another one of these like big, stocky, high energy, high motor, mm. like rebounding machines. But like, I don't know if you can ever, uh, if you, if you can, if I can see a future in which he's uh, starting five, like a, a, yeah, a yeah. five, because he's, he's, He's only about six nine, so he's he's very small by by starting fire standards. Um, yeah, but if you ask an old man, they'll be like Charles Barkley. But if you ask a young person, they'll be like, "Ooh, Kenneth Fareed, like he plays in China at the moment. I uh, don't know if he plays in China, but like if you're not at that, um, who is that dude who play back up? But if you're not Montrose Harrell, if you're not that like Oingo Boingo, um, that's a nice reference. Pogo stick off the bench who's just going to come in and like absolutely use your size and athleticism just to like go nuts on offense. But then, you know, you give up something clearly tangible on the other end. If you're not going to be that good, then yeah, there probably isn't a role for him. But uh, I agree with you. This is definitely a guy to watch because he is fun. And for the meantime, while you're not worried about playoff matchups with Isaiah Stewart, let's just enjoy the fact that he's going out there. And uh, I, I would be petrified to go against him to get a rebound because if he just like he, if he sticks his arms out halfway, that's you know that's almost as long as me lay, laying down on the ground with my arms up. So like he, he's a big dude, and it's it's just fun to see big dudes like come in, whack the shit out of people. And James Edwards the third, the Detroit writer for the Athletic, has tweeted many times how much he loves Detroit and how much he. Uh, Isaiah Stewart embodies the Detroit Pistons way of the Detroit Pistons brand of basketball. How about that, Dante? That's a very cold ESPN take from me right there. Yeah, well, he, he I mean, you know, cold or not, he definitely does embody the Detroit Pistons of old. Um, he, I think he was taken 19th in the first round this year. Mm. And that was pretty universally panned, if I remember correctly, as why are you investing uh, this mm. pick? into this player um and then go out and sign mason Plumley, and already have a couple of bigs on your team and let christian wood walk well the christian wood one you know as a sep as an aside is still extremely strange um (laughs) but isaiah stewart has really outperformed i think what people thought uh he was going to be able to do because I think when he was drafted people saying yeah he's a good rebounder but he's limited offensively and um, he's limited offensively and he's too small to be a real defensive difference maker. And mm. now that Plumley is kind of like Plum, he, he missed a few games and he, since he's been back, he's been playing the, like the Keith Bogans starter minutes where he'll, you know, that play <laughs> yeah. like the first eight minutes of each, of each, um, each half and then just sit for the rest of it. So the lion's share of the minutes should be going to Stuart for the rest of the season. 
He's actually posted pretty good rim protecting numbers for a small dude. So, mm-hmm. um, and obviously, you know, I read out the stats before. He's gone 15, 12, and 21 in his last three games with with rebounds. So that's, you know, that's out of this world. So he's got tick, tick. And he's also kind of started to show, like, he's not just a rim roller paint finisher. Like, he's, he's shooting threes. Um, and, you know, his shot chart uh, it reveals that he's actually, like, reasonable active on the from the mid-range on the right side of the floor so i don't know what's what's this space it'll be interesting to see over the last 15 games or so if they just like let him run wild and if he can develop any chemistry with killian hayes who's playing basketball again yeah that's that's always a good sign to see a basketball player play basketball um i'll move on to my first guy and uh, i will admit that when you sent me this run sheet i did read the question wrong i thought you were just talking about young players to watch down the end of the season but no you mean young players on tanking teams obviously the warriors aren't tanking they are trying to win games but i'll just say that one young dude i've only got one young dude who that is not a tanking team and that's jordan Poole, who ever since the g league bubble finished up or the gubble for want of a better word he has just been incredible and exactly the guy that you want on this golden state warriors roster because the warriors play a very steve kerr brand of basketball which is incredible when you've got steph curry clay and and even kevin durant at times but as soon as you've just got a bunch of average guys or below average guys, you've got someone like Steph Curry who's more than happy to take all the shots he wants, but everyone sort of gets scared when they do something. Like um, Juan Toscano Anderson did a like behind the back 360 dunk and then didn't play for the next three games. I don't know if that's like some, some Phil Jackson seeping into Steve Kerr, but you've just got these dudes that are... Uh, reluctant to shoot and Jordan Poole is the complete opposite of that ever since he came back from the double he's just extremely excited to shoot which is nice because this this bench mob for the Golden State Warriors just really needs a, a pressure release where they can just pass it to a guy after Andrew Wiggins has dribbled for 20 seconds and he's just happy to take the shot and he also untucks his shirt he might be one of the only dudes in the league who untucks his shirt and that that holds a special place in my heart yeah, well, he finally got his, uh, you know, he's not by no means an efficient scorer, but he's finally bumped his numbers up a little bit from being absolutely catastrophic as a rookie um, to, you know, probably not respectable yet. He's shooting 42% from the field and 34 from three, but, um, you know, well on the way. And you, like you say, like your your bench mob in Golden State is a little bit gun shy. Uh you know, you just need someone who is actually going to not have a conscience and it helps mm. that he can actually like make a shot this year. And I, I honestly thought like uh, he, you know, he's born in, born in 1999. He, he, <laughs> he's going to turn 22 in yeah. during the playoffs. So he's still really, really young, mm. um, which kind of shocked me. I just assumed that he was like already like maybe 23 and it's like he, like, like he was done. So when I, mm. when, you know, a few weeks ago when you started talking about, how much you've really enjoyed him since he's come back from the gobble. I was, I was a bit shocked. I was like, Oh, like, okay. Like that. Yeah. That guy, like, I remember him. Like it seems like so long ago that he was, you know, in, in Michigan, like, in the team and just like, Oh, failing yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I, guess, I guess we had a lot to talk about with that Warriors team and I obviously watched a lot of Warriors games so there was a there's a bigger sample size for me to put down a dude who you probably usually wouldn't take much notice of if he was on another team. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, just sorry. On? No, we shouldn't move on just before we do. I, I just building off your 21 year old point, I think he does have a role on this Warriors team and just in the NBA in the future as like a, a microwave guy off the bench. Now, I don't want to say it's Jamal Crawford or, or even Jordan Crawford, um, but he, he has a role if he can if he can keep it up and if he can build a, on this strong second half of the season as just a dude who's going to fill the stat sheet and maybe win you five games a season. Probably won't play too much in the playoffs, but he, he has a role on this Warriors team next season. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, he seems to be someone who... Uh, that role can be there, at, you know, now when there's a lot of shots to go around on the second unit, but also, you know, if, if his minutes um, or role kind of shrink, that skill set of that bench gunner is something that is in theory more, you know, it's like transferable. So no matter what iteration um, of the team, you know, that the team goes through over the next year or two, 
Um, he should be someone who, if if this you know uptick in shooting is for real, someone who can make meaningful contributions. Mm. All right, who's your next guy? My next guy is the most enigmatic player in the NBA. It's Alexei Pokusevsky from the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, who you will have all like like listeners will will definitely have seen both Poku highlights and lowlights this season because there have been so many of them. Um, the other day, I think he had six blocks, but he also shot four of 14 from the field. And in general, he's been the most catastrophically bad shooter uh, in the whole <laughs> league. I'll just, um, I'll just run you through some numbers um, that kind of tell the story. This is according to Cleaning the Glass. So he's got a 42% effective field goal percentage. Uh, which is in the fourth percentile. Um, he's shooting 42% period on two-point attempts and 28% on three-point attempts, which is in the 11th and 14th percentile, uh, respectively. So not yeah, good. But um, he, he, t- he, he does make the highlight reel. <laughs> well, I mean, there was he had, a, he had a beautiful drive and smooth behind-the-back dish to... Um, one of the thunder players today um <laughs> he also had a really and, nice up and under the other day he was like a mini dream shake yeah he's he's playing roughly half of his minutes at the three and roughly half of his minutes at the four so combo forward like you know he was drafted and because he's seven foot tall everyone was calling him a center jonathan charks from the ringer was the first person that i heard to say he's not a center he's a seven foot shooting guard um <laughs> so they really are playing him more as like that combo forward role um, which, you know, obviously look at his frame. Uh, he, there's no way that he can spend any time in the paint, which is pretty much what he does because he doesn't get to the line, doesn't shoot free throws, shoots a lot of threes. Like Swaggy Pool, he has no conscience. Like some, no one, no one on the Thunders told him, like, dude, you're shooting 40% on twos because mm-hmm. he's just like pulling them anyway. But you see, the, you see him putting the ball on the floor. You see the highlights. He's got... Uh, a 2.1% block percentage, which is in the 96th percentile league wide. So, you know, like that's kind of like Andre Kirilenko level block rate from a- What a good a, comp. Or, pardon? What a good comp. <laughs> well, just, yeah. I mean, physically, just in terms of having that, the arms that go forever and being that kind of combo forward, um, you know, that that's definitely, that's definitely something that brings value. He just has like a lot of, raw raw skills that don't seem to translate apart from like these occasional like incandescent flashes when you see him and you're like wow that really 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 could be something Mm. um and i think it's probably a good thing that they're just blooding him like this and letting him be awful because he has been one of the worst players in the league i mean like you know he's (laughs) he's (laughs) he has not produced at anywhere near an nba level um you know, yeah, NBA yeah. quality level. Um, well, that's, so, that's that's a great transition, Dante, from one dude who is not producing at an NBA level but sometimes looks good on the Thunder to another guy who doesn't produce at an NBA level but sometimes looks good on the Thunder. My next dude is Moses Brown. Uh, was that a good enough transition to move on? That was an absolutely hectic transition. I <laughs> love that transition. Now, while Moses Brown has had a couple of donuts for his past couple of games, he blew up and like a tiny little blow up like in Mythbusters when they get the experiment wrong since El Horford went down with his quote injury unquote slash he's just sit not to do anything now I think this is part of something bigger for OKC to test out these young dudes and blood these young dudes while also losing a lot of games and oh my god they're they're all of a sudden worse than the west and they're about to get a really good pick it's like what are the odds of that we're about to go and get the dude who just played college down the road called Cade Cunningham but um yeah Moses Brown is in, in a similar in a similar vein to Isaiah Stewart it's one of these big dudes where it's like you're not sure of their role like maybe they're DeAndre Jordan maybe there's something a little bit more dynamic than that but Moses Brown has had a lot of games by a lot I mean a handful of games where it's like 13 and 11 12 and 5 you know couple of blocks handful of blocks his best game was against the golden state warriors in a 38 point loss where he had 18 12 and two blocks and two steals and it's just young athletic big man running the floor uh undrafted coming in and filling the statue yeah he's not really doing much other than 
you know, like <laughs> grabbing boards. Um, but anytime you can grab 20 boards in a game, um, you must be is, doing something right. Yeah, that's eye popping. So he's definitely got definitely got a skill for that. I just kind of wonder, like, remember like the the first year of the process era sixes when there's mm-hmm. just all those dudes and they're just all playing like random minutes and everyone's kind of like, well, Hollis we'll see, Thompson, you know. Well, yeah, Hollis Thompson, like Tony Roten, we'll see who comes <laughs> out of this as like a good player. And it ended up only pretty much being Robert Covington. Uh, true. Uh, Nick Stauskas, is he still in the league? Actually, uh, oh, actually, no, sorry, sure on 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 that on those process sixes, there was one Christian Wood. Yeah, well, Christian Wood been on every single NBA team apparently. Actually, um, and Jeremy Grant so and Rashawn Holmes and TJ McConnell. That's yeah, that's, true. That's all. Awesome. True. Right, I I miss I misspoke about it. But I know what you mean. You, you throw you throw I, I shit at the if... wall to see what sticks. Yeah, there's definitely going to be a bit of that with this team in a few years. We're going to look back and be like, um, look at, you know, player X who really popped and became a great role player. Like th- they were playing on that Thunder team with player mm. Y and like player Y is like now completely washed and like can't play. Mm. Um, but you wouldn't know that because, you know, if you give, you know, if you give an NBA player with a defined skill 25 minutes a game, he'll probably produce at least sometimes with that defined skill. Uh, which could be what we're saying with any number of, you know, any number of these, of these young dudes. Um, and even the ones that look like, you know, there's a bit more of a draft investment um, in them. Um, and, you know, they look like they've got their role kind of like cemented on the team. They get a real chance to prove themselves. Moses Brown, obviously is not one of those players. He's undrafted, but I'm thinking like Theo Melodon, like he had 33 points a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and then followed that up by going to an absolutely abominable shooting slump, shooting like 15% from the floor over his next few games. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's basically what I'm trying to say. There's going to be a lot of ups and a lot of downs with these, with these team, these players on this terrible team. And it's going to be really interesting in like three or four years to look around the league and say like, okay, who graduated from that team to actual legit NBA player and who was just playing on, you know, on the team because they were awful. Who, who's that dude that they just signed that Argentinian dude? Gabriel Deck. Deck. Gabriel Deck. <laughs> Signing yeah. Let's see where Gabriel deal. Deck is in a few years. Well, he's, he hasn't played a game yet. He's not with team. Um, well, it seems a lot like they were just meeting the salary floor. Um, who's your next player? My next player is Wendell Carter Jr., who has been pretty underwhelming through his first few years. I think it's I think it's appropriate to say that's why when the Bulls had the chance to get Vucevic, they were probably like, "Yeah, take yeah, you want Wendell Carter? We're happy you take him." Um, mm-hmm. But considering that Steve Clifford has had some success with big men uh, in in the past, thinking about like Charlotte era Al Jefferson operating as like a high and low post hub, which is kind of what Wendell Carter Jr. is supposed to be in theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm interested to see whether or not he can actually play because, you know, he's going to get the minutes. They're, they're starting him over Mo Bamba, even when Bamba is... Um, even when Bamba is healthy, which, you know, pulling out for Mo Bamba, you, you've got Ken Birch and Vooch in front of you for like your whole career. All of a sudden within one week, they're both gone and you still can't start. Also yeah. just, just on, just yeah. on that, whilst I, whilst, whilst it's in my mind, Mo Bamba <laughs> had one of the worst lines I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> his line and the his other head. day was three minutes Zero points, one rebound, zero assists, zero block steals, O of two from the field, and <laughs> minus 12. <laughs> minus 12 in three minutes is hard. And then he got injured and didn't play for the rest of the game, missed a few <laughs> games. So um, it, it, it seems like they, they're making a commitment early on to Carter over Bamba. And probably was. It's, it's, it's kind of put up or 
put up or shut up time now. He's looked a little bit better um, statistically since he got there. I'm not going to lie to you or the listeners and say I've really been grinding the magic tape uh, <laughs> in the last like two or three weeks. But um, he's someone who in theory can play as a modern kind of playmaking big. He's a decent inside scorer. Um, he's a good passer, a good facilitator. He's a good rebounder. There's like a theoretical outline of a good, useful starting NBA center. But, mm. you know, it, we're towards the end of his third season and this the team's going to have to make a decision on what to do with him, you know, from this season onwards. Um, mm. So I think he's someone who I'm really watching to see if they're going to keep him around or if they're just going to jettison him and, and um, you know, he's going to, be another young big that's highly drafted that's just washed out. <laughs> yeah, and just to go back to your mobile album point, I think if a player is really good and deserves a spot, I think it eventually evens itself out. So it probably says something that hasn't been able to find a role in the NBA yet. Yeah, All yeah right. I agree. Well, someone who has found a role who I actually really like, and this is my final young player to watch for a tanktastic team, uh, is Daniel Gafford for the Wizards. I really liked him when he was in Chicago. He found his way to Washington after the trade deadline. Um, and as Lucas, friend of the pod, said on the four-man wave a couple of weeks ago, he says he was not only excited to watch Daniel Gafford come to the Wizards, but it's better to watch Daniel Gafford. Uh, it's almost... Better to watch Daniel Gafford as it is just to simply not watch Alex Len. And with Alex Len out for the next upcoming couple of games, I think, I mean, I'm not even going to double check that. Just doesn't matter. Does <laughs> just believe matter. me. Um, in seven games with Washington, playing about 17, ga- 17 minutes a game, he's averaging roughly 11 points. But Washington's posted at 103 defensive rating in those seven games. And yes, small sample size, but that's exactly what we're going off when it comes to the Pogoshevskis and the Moses Browns of the of the world. But I um I really like Daniel Gafford from the same vein as Moses Brown and Isaiah Stewart. Are you seeing a, a trend here? But I really like him as a dude who can either come off the bench or start in a pinch as just this run and dunk dude who's really tough, um, comes in just, yeah, again, DeAndre Jordan mold. Uh, I think there's a place for him in the league. And, you know, uh, I watched a few of his games in Chicago and, and the commentators liked him and they always talked about his effort and hustle. And yes, you know, it's hard it's hard to measure that because what Matthew delved over won the, the hustle award a few seasons ago and, and now he's getting DNPs. But, you know, there's I think there's something here with Daniel Gafford and it might not be as sustain, substantial as some of the other dudes we're mentioning, as substantial as in on the pure counting stat side of things. But I think he's got a role and there's definitely minutes to be taken with this Wizards team without Thomas Bryant as of very, very, very early in the season. Well, I think, you know, you you talk about counting stats. I'll give you a counting stat. You mentioned (laughs) he's playing 17 minutes a game. He's averaging two blocks a game. Mm. So, uh, and you, you threw out the defensive rating number there before. I think that there could be minutes to be had on this team when Thomas, Thomas Bryant's back because yeah. Thomas Bryant's one of the worst defensive centers in the league. The Wizards have been, you know, like perennially bad defensively for the last few seasons. If this dude can be like a, you know, reasonable level starting defensive center, then well, <laughs> all he has to do is beat um, one of the Lopez twins and then Alex Len. Like there's definitely an avenue for playing time. Well, I mean, I mean, you know, Robin Lopez is, Robin Lopez is still a good defensive center. Um, mm. And Thomas Bryan is really good offensively. Like he's kind of got one of the most diverse skill sets offensively for any center that's not like a superstar. Um, so but I'm, I'm between, you know, between him and Gafford, if Gafford is for real, you know, that you could get a pretty good, pretty reasonable center rotation out of that. And there could be, you know, like 20, 20 or so minutes, 25 minutes per game for, for Gafford even next season. Um mm depending on how things shake out, if he can prove over the last 15 or so games that he not only is this defensive production for real, but also, you know, he can be a, a, uh, I'm not going to say a difference maker, but, but if he can be that run and jump rim running big and actually, you know, produce somewhat in that role. Mm. um, Yeah. It's definitely not the most like, um, astute defensive uh, big man rotation I've ever seen. So if you've got one skill that you can really lean on um, to to get yourself in there and then hopefully develop, like I, I definitely could see something 
for him on mm. this team past this season. And I trust Lucas's Lucas's eye and Lucas is really, really quite high on uh on Gafford. So uh, we'll see we'll see where he goes. It's it it'll uh it'll come back to bite Lucas if he gets it wrong <laughs> though. If Gafford washes out, I'm holding it against him. Yeah, nice. Um you love to hear it, but Dante, that's that's all we got. Do you want to send us off? Uh, this has been episode 103 Oof, of... Triple digits. Triple digits. Getting up there. Of the <laughs> DTNBA podcast. Follow us on socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and make sure that you subscribe so that this podcast comes straight to your preferred podcast streaming service library. And that's all from us.